think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, this is episode 123 of the Boys in Short Pants, the 124th episode. I'm Laura Carvado. I am Hitson Rainville. And uh, this week, uh, we've had actually a pretty news-packed couple of weeks here between uh, a the announcement that uh, we will not have an election for a couple of years, uh, if all things go well, and uh, a federal budget. So uh, without too much further ado, uh, I think we will just uh, dive right in. So the, the first point I mentioned there, obviously, is the uh, recently concluded uh, NDP Liberal Accord that will see uh, a supply and confidence agreement in place until... Uh, the parliament sort of expires due to normal ending of a parliament in 2025. Um, and until then, the NDP has agreed to support liberal budgets and provide them with confidence on other confidence votes, uh, but otherwise are not bound to support liberal policies uh, in standalone legislation. So yes, this has been the first time we've been in this sort of situation federally, perhaps ever i feel like i probably should know that off the top of my head um but in any case certainly a generational novelty uh for folks yeah. who have been here since the the 90s or so there are some more recent examples that folks point to at the at the provincial levels most provincial notably level, yes, being the yeah. ontario and bc yeah um the what was it called? The Ray Accord government, I think is how folks refer to it. The Peterson-Ray years, yes, yeah. between 85 and 87, yeah. Um, and then, of course, the Confidence and Supply Agreement in uh, British Columbia that worked so well, the Green Party basically, well, the leader of the Green Party, Andrew Weaver, basically packed up shop, said, uh, you know, I really like this John Horgan guy. I'm just going to step out of politics and uh, never come back. Um, yes, so that has been interesting for them, and certainly, uh, yes, the NDP being able to win a majority there in BC in the last election was, uh, I think, very vindicating for the point of view that uh, supply and confidence agreements tend to be very good for the, the senior partner, um, with perhaps it remains to be seen for junior partners. So let's step back a little bit and just talk about the dynamics here uh, that I just kind of alluded to. Uh, there has long been a lot of hesitancy on the part of smaller parties to formally align themselves uh, in either a coalition format or a supply and confidence agreement format in Westminster democracies, uh, with one important exception that I will circle back to, um, because there is a perception that when you do so as a smaller party, you tend to eat all the blame for stuff the government does that your voters don't like. Uh, but get none of the credit. Um, I think there is a lot to support that point of view. The really par excellence example of this is the coalition that was in place uh, between 2010 and 2015 in the UK between the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats, where the Lib Liberal Democrats had a historically good result in 2010 and parlayed that into a coalition agreement with the Conservatives, who had not won a majority. Um, after a long labor government that had was definitely long in the tooth and was past its best buy in lots of ways, uh, it should be said. Uh, and they came out of that agreement completely destroying the party. I, I will sort of use Nick Clegging a party as an example for, for precisely this kind of thing. And bonus points if said Clegger goes off to uh, a very, very lucrative job uh, <laughs> in some sort of globetrotting consultancy or tech firm role as... Nick Clegg has. 
and and all good for Nick Clegg. You know, we we love to see we love to see a fella get the bag, um, or sometimes we don't. But yeah, all that to say that there's a lot of hesitancies built into these things, and a lot of people who have seen very mixed results. Um, another example, I this is an example that never comes to mind, and I think it's an indication of how badly this went for the party that tried it. Um, is that in the late 90s, early 2000s, the Saskatchewan Liberals were actually in coalition with the New Democrats, uh, a, a piece of political trivia that I think most people couldn't tell you, and that's because the Liberals then essentially uh, got wiped out, and the ones that were left then hopped across the aisle to form essentially a new political party with uh, the Sask party, with rump PCs. Um, so, and now they barely exist. So there's another example. The counter example to this that I wanted to bring up because it's interesting is the liberal national ongoing sort of axis in Australia where you have a more urban business liberal party, small L liberal party that also happens to be called the big L liberal party, and then a more conservative rural nationalist uh, national party. Uh, and they're sort of on a permanent fixed orbit with each other. Um, and neither of them seem to have been subsumed entirely by the other. My dumb guy read of Australian politics is that the liberal side of that coalition tends to be a, a little more hogging of the cabinet spots in their governments. But to be honest, that is a dumb guy takes. And I'm sure, you know, uh, Cro Crocodile Dundee, who listens to this podcast, uh, was now just sharpening his large knife uh, at how dumb a take that was. So who knows? Fabulous movie. But um, yes, great movie. Uh, all that to say... Um, yes, yeah, a spotted history, I think, for these kinds of things for junior parties, and I think we can discuss in more concrete terms uh, what that agreement will look like, unless you have something to add on this broader front first. No, I'll leave it there. I mean, I guess the only thing that you didn't mention there that I was wondering if you would was the attempted, basically, confidence and supply agreement that the Stéphane uh, Zion... Uh, and, ah, yes. and folks tried to play once upon a time um, from the position of minority. Uh, the old try and band together and defeat Harper move. Um, that did not yes. that did not work so well. <clears throat> no, it didn't work well. But I mean, I think it was it was really that it, they couldn't. Yeah. So, I mean, this is an interest. And I will only touch on this very briefly because I realize that this is opening a can of worms. I think there's a lot of sort of people say, oh, you know, Harper was really bad for having prorogued parliament and all that, and the governor general shouldn't have said yes, and blah, blah, blah. I got a book. I mean, in I think like, the governor... In my poli-sci 101 or, like, 210 or 220, it doesn't matter. Um, there was a book <laughs> that we got that was, like, hastily published with chapters by prominent political scientists and politicians that was entirely about, like, slamming it. It had, like, little cartoon figures on it. Um, oh, very nice. Uh, yeah, you, you may have m missed this little bit. It's quite well known for being like a a rush published textbook in relation to an event that is happening. Uh, yeah, very very I was strange. Still in high school at the time. Uh, so, yes, in the U.S. So it was uh, a curiosity to be observed. I can I can lend you my copy. I think uh, I can't remember who had a chapter in it. If it was Stefan Zion or Michael Ignatieff, but one of the. Uh, one of the liberal leaders, well, perhaps eventual liberal leaders, was one of the uh, was one of the authors of a chapter. Well, very good. But on, on that subject, I think there there was a lot of talk about how you know Parliament should or should not have been prorogued. But like, really, fundamentally, all the prorogation meant was that the 
erstwhile coalition had to simply hold together (laughs) for a couple of weeks and not just come apart at the seams and they couldn't do that which i think perhaps speaks to how stable that arrangement would have been in practice yeah so you know they're really it, it basically all they had to do was literally just not say we're not doing this for like two weeks and then they would have done it but they couldn't do that so there you go so there you go that's that's my commentary on this kind of fell apart at the seams so let me let me put a few different pieces on the table from my perspective on this. So, surprises for me. One, uh, the existence of this agreement was uh, a surprise, I think, to everyone. There was, you know, as, as far as I know, very few leaks or rumors. It seemed to be negotiated at the, at least initially, at the, the highest of lev- levels among the liberals and the NDP. Of course, kind of the, the story that came out afterwards was it started from a congratulations call uh, from the Prime Minister to Jagmeet over the birth of his son? Child. Child. Of his child. Child of... <laughs> I don't know. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't know either. Um, Doesn't matter either. So it, it started there and then, you know, developed into something. Um, so that's surprise number one, the existence of it. I'm not, you know, entirely surprised just given um, where I believe Jagmeet falls in terms of the, the ideological spectrum and, and likely... Uh, a willingness to cooperate with the liberals on on these points so that part not surprising but the existence nonetheless is a a very new development in uh, canadian federal politics Uh, yeah i guess there was no reason to think that it was happening rather than no reason to think that it could happen yeah yeah surprise number two is uh you know how quickly the budget flowed after it which from a process perspective i was actually expecting to see finance to have to take a much longer time to reckon with the promises, which I guess mm-hmm. implies that finance was well yeah. underway on some of these promises in advance of, of the publicness of it. But when it comes to you know the, the dozens of hands at finance who are required to uh, adjust all the charts in the budget, um, to reflect all of these new, you know, the new dental and pharma. It was and, all concessionary finance. <laughs> and, and all of these. didn't have to make sense. And all of these other promises. I'm surprised that they were able to, to hold on to the, the bag so long. And that then the budget came out quite promptly thereafter. Um, you know, just to note on budget, which we'll get into a little more detail. We basically only got one week's notice. Um, it really seemed like it was pushing towards end of April. Um, kind of uh, a week and a half from now would have been. Um, but they managed to squeeze it out in early April, which I understand is important, um, you know, for various government financing reasons, otherwise lapsing of funds and there's issues with, um, you know, delaying too long just based on how the, the budgetary cycle works. Um, but yeah. so they, they managed to squeeze it out in April. But what I will say is that, uh, boy, April budgets are becoming more and more common. Uh, we have not seen many February budgets at the federal level. Um, early, late February, early March used to be kind of the, the metric for when budgets were expected, but um, that really yes. does seem to have been slipping lately. Well, millennials just love sleeping in. <laughs> yes. and, uh, something along those lines. I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, I think those are, are fair points, and I think you're, you're right to suggest that there are sort of two implications there. One is that um, so yes, let's take us read that after the announcement of this uh, there was not much time, 
And the budget did include some stuff that I think would have otherwise not been there. So there's sort of two things that flow from that, and one or three. And one of them is, as you say, that finance was sort of in on the conversations regularly. And I think that that's pretty likely. The other is that there's, it, and this is often the case in Ottawa, is that there's just there's just less behind the facade than you think there is, and that they're like, yeah, okay, just write it down, we'll figure it out later. Um, or, and I think this is also the case, is that there was not, and we will get more into this in a more fulsome way there wasn't much to include um and to sort of circle to the the actual agreement itself we won't go through point by point um but if you take a look at it in terms of new commitments there is not a lot there uh in terms of let's take the government at its word and say that it was planning on doing all the stuff that it's been saying it would do on reconciliation on the environment on housing on blah 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 name the issue Let's take as read that all of that stuff was going to happen. If you do that, then what the NDP negotiated was a dental plan. And I think that's largely it. Um, the Pharmacare thing, I think, has kind of fallen off the radar. So let's be really generous and throw in Pharmacare in there. Yeah, Pharmacare. The um, Liberals have basically put Pharmacare off the agenda. So this, I think, does squeeze yes. um, some life yes. into that. Although the promises in the... What do we call it? Accord? Agreement? Uh, and the Accord are very much focused on progress on various issues and not firm, tangible <laughs> deliverables with deadlines. Yeah, so let me give one specific example of that where I think the language in this is pretty weak. Tabling a safe long care act to ensure that... Seen- long term care. What did I say? Not You said long care. I'm sorry, long-term care act. To ensure, it's been a long day. To ensure that seniors are guaranteed the care they deserve, no matter where they live. So taking at face value, that is a promise to table a bill of a certain name. It doesn't say table and pass this bill that will do with X. With these provisions. Yeah, it says yeah. table a bill with this short title. You know, that could be ticked off this box in about five minutes. Uh, in fact, they could actually put that in the BIA. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's like th- this bill. This it just says like this bill enacts the bill, the Save Long Term Care Act, and then the bill is like this bill is enacted. <laughs> Congratulations! Yeah, no, I, I'm like, sure there were some conversations. You know, it's it's obviously yes. a bit facetious, but that it. is the yes, minimum the threshold. It. it includes no substance as to what we want a Safe Long Term Care Act to do. Like literally zero. I'm sure there was some negotiation around that, and that they didn't just say pass the bill with this name. But it is. I mean, I think it is. Well, it doesn't say pass. This is table a bill with this name. It would be better if it said pass a bill with this name. But not even that language is included here. I think we have to assume that somewhere in someone's file cabinet there is a more substantive agreement that has been agreed to uh i mean okay here's what i would say about that is let's you're saying I, there's I a secret so. agree you heard it here first folks <laughs> there is a secret back room agreement in addition to this yes. agreement there in the back rooms so there's a back back room where they concluded this one and then there was another <laughs> back room behind that one <laughs> no but i mean like i i think there would at least have to have been some verbal assurances as to content i would hope um, so, uh, leaving that aside, I, I think the the new thing is... So let's look at new budget money, right? In terms of, you've agreed to f- support four budgets, sight unseen. Uh, budgets are in the area of about $300 billion. Uh, there are four of them you've agreed to. It's $1.2 trillion. In response, you are getting... Uh, 
I think about a billion dollars a year for a couple of years and then 1.7 ongoing for a dental care program, a kind of question mark over pharmacare. Um, so if you take $1.2 trillion and compare it against the like, I don't know, seven, eight billion that has been like agreed to in concrete terms, it's not a great exchange rate in terms of like what you've agreed to support without seeing it. Uh, I am sympathetic to the idea that the appetite for another election is not really there on anybody's part. And more cynically, I think the NDP spent a lot of money on the last election and is not keen to repeat the experience to win one seat out of it. Um, so it, I'm not sure that this is a gigantic win. I would say on the political level as well, um, that the NDP message for the last several years has been you cannot trust Justin Trudeau to do progressive things. But we are, is now the message. Uh, because we've signed this agreement with him and trust that he will deliver. Um, or otherwise we will trigger an election that we plainly don't want and that the Liberals stand a good chance of winning. Is not like a... I have a hard time imagining selling that at the doors for a lot of folks and especially in places where NDP MPs are in, you know, more conservative to NDP swing seats, more rural, more northern, which I think people forget is most of the caucus. Um, I think for a long time it's been, you know, it, the ability to say at the doors, I am not a liberal, and I, in fact I don't like liberals, um, has been a good thing and an asset for NDP MPs like that. And now for the conservatives to say, actually, if you vote liberal or vote NDP, you get liberals does not help at all. Because, uh, I mean, they've always said that, but now <laughs> they say it with some justification. Um, I think those folks are going to be feeling that uh, at the doors in the next couple of years. So I am I have a hard time seeing who this is for, I guess, in terms of if I, if I were looking at this from the political calculus of where does this help you win seats next election? I don't know where that is, um, because the Holy Grail is a, always seems to be downtown Toronto, and they haven't won a seat there in a long time. Um, and I'm not really clear on how this gets them closer to that, and I think this makes their math in a lot of places like in BC and Northern Ontario kind of harder. So I don't know. I, I think they have a hell of a sales job ahead of them on this uh, in a lot of places, so we will see. But I am... Uh, I'm pretty skeptical that this will bear fruit. Just to add uh, one more surprise into the mix. I mean, I guess it's been no secret and known for a while that there are not a ton of folks lining up um, to be the next leader for the NDP. Um, but there has actually been surprisingly little public dissent around the agreement. Obviously, it went to caucus um, and was agreed on, but you know, for as a fact, yeah, of course. yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's like we will. Do you have any idea how stupid we will look if you guys say no to this right now? <laughs> but obviously, um, you know, to date there has been very little public dissent, um, even though you know, presumptively the the leader's office in. Uh, the party in fourth standing does not have that many carrots with which to re reward people, nor that many sticks. Indeed. And so an independent-minded caucus could obviously um, 
ruffle some feathers if there were uh, a few different people who, who vehemently agreed with it. And I, I was looking to some of you know the usual rabble-rousers um, that you would expect to speak out on this, um, who obviously spent, you know, in many cases, much longer fighting uh, the liberals in this liberal government than even the, the leader um, himself. But it's been remarkably all quiet on the front, home front. Uh, we will see if that persists and if, you know, it can go one of, uh, one of two ways. It can either, um, you know, come apart at the seams due to various tensions and frictions that build up over time. Um, or it can settle into an era of complacency. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, watching the um, committees will be one of the interesting sort of flashpoints for this type of uh, agreement where there might be the expectation from some liberals on committees that the NDP are to play ball with them. And it'll be interesting to see whether or not the, the NDP, in fact, do play ball with them because... Yeah. You know, historically going through SNC and some of that, <laughs> um, that was not the game that was played. And it was no, often the block who ended up... Um, sort of inexplicably siding with the government at the last Yeah, time. and so it'll some be really interesting totally to see how this works. Because obviously committees uh, rabble-rouse to a great degree during the minority, uh, the minority period of this government. And it would have been nice to have more flexibility on that during the majority period of the government. So... Um, yeah, from a from a procedure I mean, look, like, perspective, that's you know one of the biggest things to watch. If we have more flashpoint committees around, you know, major ethics issues or spending issues or what have you. Yeah, I mean, having speaking of someone who spent a lot of my time and energy causing problems for the government at committee over the years, um, I think there will be a certain loathness to give up that arsenal, um, and I don't really see why they would. Uh, but yes, it will be very interesting to watch. Um, but I, I don't really think that there is much of a need for... And yes, there is some language in the agreement about ensuring sort of the movement of legislation through committees. I would say that most of the spicy stuff that happens at committees is actually not necessarily at legislation. Uh, and it's usually in studies. Um, so I don't necessarily think that those things are going to be in very strict tension with each other but so let me just double down on that point a little bit by, by reading the language here both par uh, both parties agree that parliamentary debate is essential both parties agree to identify uh, priority bills and expedite through the priority bills to expedite through the house of commons including by extending sitting hours to allow for additional speakers if needed the ndp will support a limited number of programming motions to pass legislation that both parties agree to. Um, yes. So that's um, closure uh, style motions to, to limit debate in order to um, prevent filibustering and blocking of legislation, you know, typically done by the conservatives, in, in some cases perhaps the block. <coughs> um, but so that's the language that basically the NDP will cooperate on bills that they both agree to probably related to this stuff and you know a few other pieces yeah. um it will be interesting to see how much of this impacts the government's legislative agenda this hasn't been a government that has been particularly adept at passing bills uh hastily through the house of commons um in part because of i guess their own political or their own parliamentary aptitude but also because of uh, a conservative party that has fought them quite hardly on some pieces of legislation. 
Um, so, you know, it's a minority government and having a, an ally on the opposition benches could go a very long way to moving their legislative agenda forward. And of course, um, on the broad question of the timeline they now have to deal with, it's a, a four-year time horizon instead of a, you know, 18 months is the language yep. that everyone, or the, the estimate that everyone parrots when talking about the, the likely lifetime of a minority government. Yes. So on, on the subject of committees, because you talked about the legislative side of this, the, the committee language says, to ensure committees are able to continue their essential work, both parties agree to communicate regarding any issues which can impede the ability, excuse me, the government's ability to function or cause unnecessary obstructions to legislation, review studies, and work plans at committees. I don't think that really binds the NDP to anything in particular, uh, but like as always the devil is in the details and in the willingness of mps staff etc to make trouble all these all these um, obstructions are so unnecessary yes uh, uh, yes from the point of view of the government every obstruction is unnecessary and of course it will require a little bit of spine uh, on the ndp's part to uh not so you know so like, speaking of spine it's been now leaked or reported or what have you who would be kind of uh present or who would be the enforcers for the various sides at the yeah, monthly stock yes. take meetings using uh, warehousing terminology. Well, and to to use also deliverology no, terminology. It's not as warehousing terminology. I see. Oh, yeah, so a lot of a lot of warehouse workers in this government. A lot, uh, yeah, a lot of deliverology work in this government. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say deliverology nerds, which I think mm. is still probably true. Let's say more than warehouse workers. Can we agree on that? <sighs> In the public service, there's a yes. lot of warehouses. Anyway, the, uh, the, the stock take meetings are, in fact, uh, monthly. Uh, yes, and the membership, I believe, uh, was our good friend Pablo Rodriguez, our good friend Dominic LeBlanc, and one other liberal MP who... I think it's Ruby Sohota. Yeah, that sounds right. Yes. On the NDP side, I believe it's Daniel Blakey... Um, and Etienne, you will probably have to refresh me on who the other folks in there are. Shit, I was I was hoping you, I was hoping you remembered this. Uh, Daniel Blakey is the, no. the only one I remember. Um, the, the NP from oh Laurel Collins. Laurel yes, Collins is on that's there. who I was remembering. And then someone else. Yes, and then someone else. Yes. Um, so I mean, what strikes me about Dominic Leblanc being on there? A uh, bit of a elbows up partisan brawler. So is Pablo. Um, so is Pablo. Pablo as well. Uh, yeah. I don't have that same impression of the NDP MPs on the panel. or uh, No, and I, I don't want to speak out of turn here. Um, I've met both of them. Uh, and I, yeah, apologies for not being able to remember the third one. Is I think Etienne is, is, seems to be looking for who that person is. I would say for these kinds of things, you want to have a bean counter, a bad cop, and a good cop. You want to have someone who can sort of present a, a nice face and sort of be the the smoother over of, of various tensions. You want to have someone who can actually raise the temperature uh, and can be a bit of, you know, can be hard-headed and can be, you know, because frankly, sometimes in a negotiation, you need someone at the table who is a bit unreasonable, and I think that is important. And the third person you want there is someone who can actually follow what the deals are and who always has a good grasp on the policy issues. I think there are very good policy heads there. Uh, I've, you know, I've worked with those MPs in various capacities before and they're both really sharp um, and they're both like very nice people. Um, 
I didn't really see I didn't really see a goon on there, and I think a goon is essential to the good functioning of these things. So I I would look for a goon uh, if I were there. Blake yes. Desjardins. We'll see. Blake Desjardins. Yes. So newly elected MP from Edmonton. Uh, also similarly, really nice guy, very smart. Um, but it sounds like they have a very complementary or overlapping skill set. Yes, a complement uh, overlapping skill set rather than a complementary one. So who would your who would your goon picks for the NDP be? Oh, don't put me in that position. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, no, if if I had to pick, I think like they do they do have good ones. Like I, I my my old boss Charlie Angus, I think would be fantastic. Uh, Brian Massey and P for Windsor West, I think would be a really good. Pick uh, don't put me in that position. Uh, Here is my short list of five names. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I gave this some thought. No, but like. Yeah, I think it's not to say that anybody here is is bad or whatever. It's just that I think you want to have complementary skills. No, I, I use uh, bro- I, I use I use goons because you use the term, but really it's about you know yes. partisan brawler um, or folks yeah. who are willing to um, to push hard on issues, and you know that is a skill set that um, not ever not ever. Eh. Not every MP has, nor needs to have. Uh, no, and honestly, kind of like on a ho- you know, on a for... hockey team. I know very little about hockey, yes. but sometimes <laughs> you need to put the 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 brawlers <laughs> on the ice to get the elbows up and push the other team around a little bit. Yeah, and, and like and, yes, you know, I, I Gretzky wasn't one of those. The other people score the goals. This is everything I know about hockey. I'm just putting it on the table. Yeah, he knows more about hockey than he wants. And to the Oilers are very bad, and it's rebuilding year. And uh, boy, I don't know what's happening in Ottawa with the Sens these days. The, Oil- uh, the Oilers are actually second in their division, and they are. Probably it's a rebuilding the year. They're still going to miss the playoffs. I, I have no idea. This this is okay. how it goes. So, yes, I, I yes. Hockey aside, go Kraken uh, and go Habs also. Both, <laughs> my, yeah, very bad season for both of those actually. Um. Yes. All that to say that I think people who imagine that politics is very partisan, and they're not really wrong, I think they'd be surprised at how conflict-diverse most politicians are, <laughs> and how much they don't like getting up in each other's faces and like asking hard questions. It really is an acquired skill. My god, when I started in politics, I was so conflict-diverse with uh, the government and with other opposition parties, and fortunately I had a, I was, I had the, I had a very good mentor who was very good at developing... Uh, my skills in that direction but uh yeah no it's uh it is a it's a hard skill honestly getting people's faces and not everyone has it and uh it's not easily learned so yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens there um so i guess that takes us to uh (laughs) a a reasonable transition point where we talk about the the bouget um properly itself you know i'm always mindful that our uh let's say publication schedule has not been the most diligent lately um and so it's always interesting you know it's a bit of a challenge sometimes to come to these conversations a week or two later um after presuming that our audience has been busy consuming uh the latest uh hay that national news watch has been putting in the trough for politicos, ev- <laughs> that's right. Get in the <laughs> for politicos everywhere, um, which is so. Sometimes we like to talk about the things that uh, no one else wants to talk about or cover because they're they're so far in the weeds. Um, so I think you know, in terms of this conversation, what makes sense is to try and talk about the legislative measures and budget instead of going through you know the top line numbers in great detail as perhaps we've done in previous years um that being said i will open the floor to you and say are there any top level remarks you would like to make about uh what stood out to you in this budget 
Well, obviously, the first number I looked for was the dang deficit. Uh, and folks, it's a, it's an ugly picture. No, I, I no, that's fine. We can talk about the. Um, I, you know, to be honest, I, I would have liked to have a conversation about like the debt management framework. I think there's an interesting conversation to be had there, and the sort of inflationary context and how that figures in, and the sort of like when the bonds are coming due and how they're going to roll those over. I think there's a good conversation I had there uh, to be had there. Um, I don't feel as if I've reviewed the numbers enough to have a good conversation about that. Uh, our, our good friends, Kevin Milligan and Scott Cameron, if you are listening, uh, we would love to have you on to talk about those things. Uh, so please give us a shout. So I'll, I'll say one thing just about the, the debt management framework. When you read through um, the duration of the bonds that the government is buying in the last debt management strategy attached to budget 2021, they talked about the mm-hmm. shift to long-term bond buying. Indeed. Um, and that's obviously, you know, part of this one as well. But the proportion of the bonds that are long-term bonds, uh, just going off memory, I still don't believe is like, you know, it's not. we're not talking like 75%. No, it's, it's lower than, it was not a sea change. No, yeah. it was like a shift at the margin for sure. Yeah. Well, no, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say at the margin, but just in terms of like overall percentage, it's still in the minority <laughs> of bonds. Yes. And so... You know, coming at it from uh, someone who's never taken an economics course, um, the fact that, I'll just pull a number out of a hat, that let's say 35% of the government's bonds are now uh, long-term, where previously they were, say, 20, I, I don't really have a sense of how significant that is in terms of uh, insulation from, say, interest rate rises. Um Yes. So, anyway, uh, a conversation for another day. That that was your top line. Um, I guess for my top line, I would just say, and I won't go into the uh, this into into this in too much detail. But I thought the innovation side of this budget was interesting. Um, there were some flagship pieces, most notably DARPA slash CARPA, um, that was absent from this budget, and in its place was. Um, a text style, I think that's how you say it, um, or techies, text. Probably not how you say yeah. it. It's a Finnish word. Yeah. It probably has like 18 syllables, some snuck somewhere in there. Tough. Um, style innovation agency, so really a pivot, um, you know, which I think super interesting. Well, a pivot, from the, a pivot from the platform promise of about eight months ago, and also the platform promise, it seemed like basically there was a a rare political consensus that this was the way to do growth in this country. And then eight months later, just in the garbage can, and they had a finance official who was not to be named at the um, media lockup apparently saying, yeah, uh, this is a terrible idea and we're doing this instead, which is pretty funny. Uh, so on Robert Rasselin, I'm sorry, man. You, you really shot your shot, and it's sad to see it go this way. Yeah, so just seeing that substantial of a pivot, and that piece was in yes. the mandate letter for the minister. There was also it sure there was. was also a a uh, Globe and Mail piece that talked about you know unnamed source close to finance talking about the the unlikely ness um, of renewing the supercluster initiative. Uh, yes. the low likelihood that finance was interested in doing that. And of course, this budget included substantial mo- uh, money for the super clusters. Um, Alex Usher had put a, a thread out talking about uh, a piece in The Logic, 
which was about a report on the superclusters that ISID had commissioned of kind of third-party validators um, that said what a wonderful mm-hmm. job the superclusters were doing. And then there was this you know rival piece in the Globe and Mail saying uh, a source close to finance um, says that superclusters aren't happening. Of course, DARPA was the uh, CARPA rather was was the big promise in in the the platform, and so it was really interesting to see that uh, one superclusters got in. Um, contradicting directly the source um, from finance and then uh, so I mean or not the source from finance the source close to finance I think is the way the, the global mail piece put it so you know this is one of the instances where a source close like who are they talking to like are they talking to a former staffer are they talking to a former official are they talking to just a random you know liberal in PMO or who knows uh, but obviously, the reporting there was very, very wrong. Um, and it's also curious about the logics reporting, where it was kind of the insider source spilling the, the deets of this um, uh, supercluster initiative, which seemed to be more on point. Um, I said all that without uh, remarking that the, the superclusters are no longer the superclusters. No, they're no. The innovation clusters were the global innovation clusters, global where you're reading in- the budget. Global Innovation Cluster does not make a nice... It used to be the Innovation Supercluster Initiative. You could call it the ISI uh, or the Superclusters. Um, I guess it's now the GIX. The uh, <laughs> which doesn't roll off the tongue particularly well. If you say it with like a mild New Zealand accent. Very so anyways, uh, just some of the dynamics between what was and wasn't included based on what was and wasn't being reported and who the presumptive... Uh, jockeys were for the various positions within government uh, in and around innovation policy is is really the heart of my uh, my observation there. So with that, let's jump into... Um, can you I know, say one thing about innovation policy before we do so? No, you, you absolutely cannot. I shouldn't have asked. Mm-hmm, well, too bad. Um, I just think it's very funny that over the years we've had the superclusters, we've had the ghost of CARPA, we've now have this new innovation agency... Um, we've had any number of other things, uh, including a, a very odd $5 billion commitment to some clean growth agency or clean growth fund or something that will sort of also do what the infrastructure bank does. Are you does. talking about the $15 They're, billion dollar fund? Yes, you're, that's correct. The, well, the, yes, the concessionary finance. Which only costs $1.5 billion because they finance at subprime interest finance. rates. Man, people yes. need to brush so, up on their ODA uh, official development aid calculations and how uh, how development yes. financing works. Yes, uh, a lot of people need to brush up on that. Um, so all, all that to say that there are every budget there seems to be a new innovation thing or several new innovation things, and I just it just seems a bit crazy to me that like you would keep doing this basically every budget is like you're you're a silver bullet factory that at this point has about a zero percent hit rate against werewolves um and at some point i just it just kind of baffling to me that there wouldn't be a little more like okay what are we doing here folks kind of reflection about this but i don't know i don't know i just i find that the persistent pursuit of novelty to be a little exhausting. I mean, I, I'll say two things. One, um, politics uh, often is driven by novelty. Um, the desire to cut you're telling the me, desire man. <laughs> to cut ribbons um, is very strong. And two, I would say that 
you know, I feel like the government thinks it's doing that here to a large extent. There are things like reviewing shred credits that are kind of the... Yes, which is good. There's some good stuff. Uh, yeah. And the IP stuff is good. Yeah, that are kind of the, uh, the underpinning of Canada's innovation ecosystem. But I'd say in broad terms, you know, when we zoom out and we're able to do a, a proper po- post-mortem on the Trudeau government, you know, five to 15 years from now, um, <laughs> I think one of the uh, things we'll be able to say, it'll be interesting to look through every budget and just look at all the new initiatives, like the new organizations that are stood up, the super clusters. Um, the ones from this budget, the infrastructure bank, like, and just kind of line them up new, and do new, an evaluation new, of all of them at the end of it. Yeah, new RDAs. Yeah, well, that have been spun off from from WED and like, yeah, it's uh, WED. Yeah. Sorry, I've lost track of what the the regional uh, development agencies are up to these days. There's Prairie and BC, I think. Now, anyway, it's uh, there's a lot going on. Who knows? Um, so okay, but yeah, sorry, I I do. With that, we launch into Annex number three legislative measures so this is the mm-hmm. annex a, a few things uh before we we dive into it number one the annex includes 44 um identified subject of the measure and proposed legislative actions these talk about the proposed legislative actions at a extremely high level basically a one-liner um about what this is intending to do the existence of this in the budget is important because the liberals amended the standing orders vis-a-vis omnibus bills um, to allow the power to break up votes on bills um you know basically as a as a tool to prevent um abusive uses of omnibus bills um, but included that yes which is a very nasty harper government 69 2 includes a special provision for budget bills, uh, allowing uh, bills that are not of uh, a common theme, um, with the exception of budget implementation acts, but yes, with one. Catch. But the catch is, it has to be detailed in the budget language what the um, changes, uh, the proposed changes, will be in the budget implementation act. So basically, we have forty-four uh, different changes that we will expect to see in the BIA. Um, to be tabled when Parliament resumes from break the week of probably the week of the 25th, but maybe as late as as May, uh, which still gives basically two months for them to, to get it through with their handy helpers, the NDP, um, should go pretty pretty quickly. I, I honestly don't think that will, the accord changes a single thing there. No, it no doesn't. No one was going to vote non-confidence. They, but they, it can, sail through. I, they sail through. There can be some dilatory tactics that delay the passage. Anyways, um, so all that is to say, basically, unless the the liberals really at the last minute want to sneak some things in here into the BIA, this should be a pretty good description of what's going to be in the BIA. If they do decide to sneak things in that are not mentioned here, opposition can call it out and basically ask for separate votes. Um, If the votes go nay, those items can be struck from the BIA and the rest of the BIA can continue. I think this happened once before and there was like three votes split out. Um, I don't remember them. I think they were all successful, so it's kind of irrelevant. But uh, just to say, there should be a good accounting of what's in the BIA. So, 44 measures. Um, not, we will not go we through We will all read all, for, all 44 of the acts being amended. No, I mean, some interesting ones certainly pop out. Um, let, me, let me use uh, Lunar Gateway. Budget yeah, 2022, uh, the governor proposes to introduce legislative amendments to the criminal code 
and the Government Employees Compensation Act, blah, blah, blah. Just two acts you don't often see together. To enable participation in the Lunar Gateway. Um, this, of course, is the plan to create a space station in lunar orbit. So not exactly what you're expecting to see in Annex 3 legislative members of uh, the budget. No, and... Can I, can I can I explain? Yes, why please do. Please. The criminal code is being amended. So traditionally, the criminal code extends to low Earth orbit, and uh, because there will be Canadians in lunar orbit, they must extend the long hand of the law to the moon. Well, that so that might be a misuse funny. of traditionally, but I would say at least presently. I don't I don't know when the low Earth orbit um, clause in the criminal code was was. It was actually in the Constitution in eighteen. It was not. You're an absolute liar. <laughs> it comes from French common law, in fact. French common law. Or, I'm bad with my laws. God damn it, man. C- civil law. There's a lot of things that just, my mind never gets them in the right order. Um, so, but then, then in closing it says, a, a space station in lunar orbit that will serve a variety of purposes, including as a laboratory, and eventually a stepping stone for voyages on Mars. So it remains to be seen whether or not we will extend the criminal code to Mars in this bill, um, or if that is uh, perhaps forthcoming in a or future a f- BIA. A future BIA. Yes. Yeah. The red mar red Mars is actually because it will be liberal. Got the transnational corporations, they'll get you. Yes. Um, what? So yeah. let me just pull out another one. Uh, prohibition of the promotion of anti-Semitism is one of the elements of the BIA um, that I would say got some media play and sparked a lot of conversation. Obviously, um, there are I would say comparable laws in Germany about downplaying uh, and denying the Holocaust. Um, interesting to see, of course, what that would look like in a Canadian context, given you know Canadian hate speech laws. The given our use of French common yeah, law. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> uh, uh, now now I can't remember. What I'm, oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Now, now you completely sorry. derailed me. Um, so, I'm sorry, so, man. Other sorry. ones. Are there any that jumped out to you? Oh yeah, competition act, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, in budget twenty twenty two, the government proposes to introduce legislative amendments competition act as a preliminary step in modernizing the competition regime. I have been interested in the competition act um, for a reasonable number of years now, and uh, there have been there's been a lot of stewing in the hipster antitrust world, as it was once called, about um, bringing in some changes. Uh, I doubt they will be very far-reaching, and as they do say, they are a preliminary step, and I think there will be some comp- consultations coming. Um, so that will be interesting to see what they actually do. There was one change that came up a lot in the, in 2021 around, um, in 2009, there was a change in a BIA actually that changed some of the language around the competition act that basically made it so that collusion between companies on purchasing labor, um, went from being a criminal matter to a civil matter, which then becomes very, very hard to prosecute. Um, so I would suspect that that will be rolled back. This kind of came out in the context of pandemic pay bonuses for grocery store employees that kind of all ended around the same time from the various chains. And there were some questions. Some folks got called to committee for that. Among others. Yes. And Nathaniel Erskine Smith, among others, uh, did some very good questioning on that. Um, and, uh, I suspect that that might be a change we will see in short order, but interesting to see what else will happen. Um, cause we have, we have actually a very outdated and creaky 
Competition Act regime here in Canada in some ways. The Efficiencies Defense is, of course, the other classic example. Um, I have some guests in mind we could talk to about this at some point, Janif, uh, but we can take that conversation offline later. But that was one that I thought was interesting. Carry on. Um, I was just, I mentally got distracted reading a, a new one that I had never read before about the Corrections and Conditional Release Act that prohibits uh, the Correctional Service of Canada from placing inmates who are suspected of concealing contraband in dry cells. I don't know what dry cells means. It means the ones that uh, you're not allowed to drink liquor in. Uh, yes, the, the prohibition era cells. Um, don't know what that means. Uh, yeah, they've got the big doors on them like speakeasies. Um, yeah, I mean, so at the end of the day, why this section of the budget is important, if we wanted to put it in uh, recent political context, is infamously... Uh, SNC scandal started in part because of provisions um, related to deferred prosecution agreements that were included in the proposed legislative action of, I don't remember what budget it was, 1819, something like that. Um, so, you know, 44 different line items here that sometimes amend, say, one to three bills each. Um, and these are just the hints of what to come. Often the BIA itself is a substantial bill spanning hundreds of pages and obviously amending somewhere in the order of 44 to 100 different uh, acts of government. Um, Can I do a fun one? Sure. If you're, do, are you, are you doing well, or? sure. Go ahead. Yeah, so this is actually a fun one because this is an issue that you would not have seen on Twitter uh, but was blowing up snail mail and uh, <laughs> fax lines. Uh, which is the old age security 75 plus one-time payment um, where in the last budget um, there was or sorry this was yeah no yes it wasn't last budget because uh, I remember reading this in lockdown BIA 2021 uh, there was the one time yes budget 2021 there was a one-time payment to seniors uh, to get a, a, a check for well five, it was for $500 and went to everyone we, we love, in, we love insanity so what the and this specifically says this amendment corrects a reference error resulting from the passage of the BAA of last year was that those checks counted against counted as income for the purposes of clawbacks for GIS. So a bunch of seniors who are you know largely poor because GIS is the the, the poor folks one um, is got clawed back and it was kind of a mess for a lot of people. So interesting to see that that has been corrected. And I do believe, I, I talked about Daniel Blakey earlier, I know he has been very, very patiently and working very hard on getting that fixed. So congratulations to him. Well, there you go. So anyways, um, I think we can leave it there. I mean, there are a lot of other interesting pieces in here and we will see and maybe we can... Oh, I, I got okay, one more go interesting ahead. one actually. Yeah, so leveraging transit funding to build more homes. Yeah, pretty good. On March 25th, 2022, the government tabled a bill to authorize the Minister of Finance to provide up to $750 million of provinces and territories to address municipal and other transit shortfalls and needs and to support housing supply and affordability. The okay, that was actually less interesting than I thought. I thought they were going <laughs> to... Yeah, you have to read through the entire one before, it before quoting late. it. It looked... The first sentence looked tantalizing, <laughs> but alas. Okay, never mind. Strike that. So, that yes. Day. We will not actually be striking that for the rest. Uh, well... I own my mistakes, Etienne. Unlike Let me put one last one in. Who, uh, don't own their uh, proposes to introduce minor amendments to the Act, uh, Criminal Code and Canadian Labor Code, to support timely and effective implementation of 10 days of paid medical leave for workers. It's finally happening. In the folks. federally regulated 
private sector. Um, this is a problem. I, I did a timeline up on this at some point, just out of curiosity, to see how many times the NDP had to extract that promise um, out of the government. And it's actually included in the, the NDP Liberal Accord, whatever we're calling it. The, it is. The CASA it is. is. There was actually legislation passed on this earlier, but implementation um, has yet to, is subject to order and council or a date to be determined by order and council. I think the amount of times that they've gotten that concession probably speaks to a lot of disappointment to come in the confidence supply agreement. Is what yeah, it'll be really about. interesting. And that's why language like uh, promises to table a bill <laughs> Tabling do, not, a bill. do not strike yeah. me as particularly uh, No, and, and I will raise again that for the last couple of years, the NDP message about the Liberals has been the liberals say a lot of nice things, but when push comes to shove, you can't j- trust Justin Trudeau to put you ahead of his rich friends. And then it's like, except we trust him. We think he's cool. So we'll see how that goes. Well, I... And with that, I think I think we can call it a day absolutely. there, huh? All right, folks. Uh, this has once again uh, been Laurent Etienne from the Boys in Short Pants. You can follow us at shortpantspod on twitter.com. Uh, you can email us at shortpantspod at gmail.com I believe. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the email address. What, uh, what did you say it was? Some shortpantspod at gmail.com uh, That's not the one I control. The one I control is called thebackbenchrespod at gmail.com Yes, that's, that's when we still that's when we still had, had not decided on a name, but I made the new one for the mail. Ah, uh, so yes. Okay, don't it. don't use that one, folks, but if uh, you're one of two other podcasts named The Backbenchers now, we, uh, we, See, I'm we glad scooped we your email address. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. I'm glad we didn't go that direction. I think uh, boys short pants uh, is is very fun. It's a good time. You know, I don't so, I don't know yeah, if we've told also, the story on here before, but the reason, well, one of the reasons we didn't go in that direction is because uh, uh, immediately realized it would be awkward to interview MPs on a podcast called the Backbenchers Pod. Um, yeah, that was a big problem because we've interviewed so well, many. Well, yeah, the first, the first ever MP that we almost interviewed <laughs> uh, because of Snapchat was uh, Tony Clement, but ultimately did not, did not pursue true. that one. That is true. I'd forgotten about that. So, yes, anyway, uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, you are all lovely for listening to this podcast, and uh, a big thank you. So, yep, that's it for us. Bye-bye. Toodaloo.